Hello and welcome to the Big Ideas Into Action podcast from the World Resources Institute. I'm Nicholas Walton, and in this episode we're looking at how climate change has the potential to destroy the livelihoods of farmers across Africa. If we don't act, the risk and the impact of both economic development and sustainable agriculture in Africa will be devastating. But this podcast is also about solutions, and digital services have the potential to transform the lives of 300 million farmers. We have good evidence that suggests the return on investment is between 1 in 10 to 1 in 70 for farmers, which is really significant. Whatever the commitments countries are making about decarbonizing their economies, one thing is certain. Climate change is happening and its impacts are being felt disproportionately by the poor. In Africa, the agriculture sector, dominated by small producers and subsistence farming, is especially vulnerable. Adaptation can play a vital role in helping these farmers, and the Global Commission on Adaptation has been leading in the search for practical and effective solutions. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has helped lead the Commission, looking at issues such as small-scale farmers' productivity and helping them to manage risks and shocks. Roger Voorhees is president for Global Growth and Opportunity for the Gates Foundation. Nicholas, one of the things that as, as we've moved more deeply into agricultural development is that climate change is uh, a challenge for food production everywhere on the planet. And farming itself, as you know, is just really sensitive to more stressful conditions. And even a small shift in changes from the norm of what we're used to can have big impact. And I think that in Africa, it's going to have a really substantial impact for a number of reasons. One is that just like the fact that the majority of Africans still depend on agriculture for their income, especially people who are struggling to stay out of poverty, because agriculture has been the big engine of poverty reduction around the world. And Africa's engine of poverty reduction is really threatened by climate change. And so any setbacks on the farm are going to have a large impact on family incomes and the broader economy. I also think most farmers in Africa depend on rain to provide water for their crops and livestock. Only a small portion of farmland is under irrigation. Today, we're seeing rainy seasons across Africa that once were really consistent, arriving at odd times or sometimes not at all. And that makes it incredibly difficult for low-income farmers who don't have access to other sources of water other than rain-fed agriculture. And then thirdly, the simple fact that hot weather makes it more difficult to grow food. And so climate change is having a bigger effect in the equatorial regions where they're already relatively hot. I don't know if you saw it, but there was a recent report in Nature Climate Change looking at ag impacts over the last 60 years. And they estimated that farm productivity globally um, was affected by decrease in potential production of 20%. But they found that large areas of Africa could have losses even higher, over 40% in some places. And so I think the effect of changes in temperature, changes in rainfall, changes in pest and disease are going to have a big fact on low-income farmers around Africa and in farming in general. And so the world needs to both be there to help smallholder farmers, but also to make sure that they have the tools to adapt. Now, in most cases, obviously, uh, agriculture in, in Africa, whether smallholder or, or larger cooperatives and so on, it's, it's not going to go away. People can't just move to the city and grab jobs in many instances. So what can be done to actually improve the resilience of the agriculture that's actually happening? 
It's really a great point. I mean, I think the the fact of seeing agriculture as really an engine of poverty reduction and growth and stability is key to Africa's development. And just moving to the city isn't going to eliminate this problem. So I think there needs to be action globally and at the country level and better ways to connect the two. So globally, we're seeing finally a willingness to embrace adaptation as essential to confronting the climate emergency. There's a consensus emerging that we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to net zero. And while at the same time, we need to be helping vulnerable communities adapt to changes that are already here. And the stresses farmers are experiencing in Africa are likely to increase in the coming decades, even with large reductions in emissions. And yet the folks in sub-Saharan Africa and other parts of LMIC places have contributed very little to causing these problems. So I think the work of the Global Commission on Adaptation and its agenda for action was a pivotal moment for creating a new awareness about the importance of investing in adaptation, uh, especially for smallholder farmers in Africa. Uh, And we've seen that agenda inspire a greater sense of urgency. In April, at the African Leaders Dialogue on the COVID climate emergency, UN Secretary General Gutierrez challenged the G7 leaders to allocate 50% of their total climate finance to support adaptation and resilience, and he encouraged them to direct more support to the African Adaptation Accelerator Program. In addition, the African Leaders Dialogue also signaled there's a strong consensus emerging among African leaders to make adaptation a priority. And those leaders are seeing a clear connection between adaptation and the recovery from the pandemic. Um, And now we need to see the new political commitments linked to concrete initiatives that are connected to what farmers need to adapt. And I think the interventions identified by the Global Commission on Adaptation provide a great framework for allocating those investments. I kind of believe that one of the most important recommendations is to increase funding for agriculture research. The work's got to be informed in understanding what smallholders need in different places and the wide range of ecological and soil conditions differ in different parts of Africa. What what works in Kenya or Tanzania may be different than Nigeria or Ghana. And of course, climate threats they encounter are likely to be different. And so it needs to be adapted to not seeing Africa as a, as a block, but understand the different agroecological conditions that exist. And I think secondly, it's important that the R&D is widely affordable and accessible. At the foundation, we embrace the idea of public goods and that the fruits of science shouldn't just be for the wealthy, but available to everyone. And and I think that that's to the crops that smallholder farmers need, the crops that are grown in Africa um, and the places where that science and innovation needs to drive things that help them adapt to the changing climate, but also increase productivity uh, to reduce poverty. And adaptation is not just a food security issue, but it's like I was talking about earlier. It's really an economic development issue. For rural communities that depend on agriculture, food production is both environmentally and economically has to be sustainable. And because of that pathway out of poverty, we need to actually understand what's a sustainable food system agenda that both achieves the economic goals of low-income folks around the world, um, and especially in sub-Saharan Africa, but what are the tools they need to do that in a sustainable and productive way? Uh, you mentioned research. Now, you at the Gates Foundation, you, you put a lot of money into agricultural research centres, increasing their capacity. What's the kind of transmission mechanism 
that turns research into action at the, as we're saying, a lot of the farmers in Africa are smallholder farmers. Uh, Is that research actually sort of changing the way that they're able to adapt? I think it's a great question. And one of the big areas that, that we invest in is the CGIAR. They are an organization that has representation all around the world. It was set up to really focus on smallholder farmers. And I've got to say that they deliver great value for money. I, I think if we think about global agricultural development in a sustainable way, there was a recent study that showed that every dollar invested in the CGIAR produces $10 in returns for low-income countries. And, and that's because the support they provide to smallholder farmers actually translates into what smallholder farmers need and is adapted to the conditions and understands the price point and the availability and the local variety and taste of smallholder farmers and what the local context is. And so right now, the CGIR is about a billion dollar organization. Um, and we believe in their ability to accelerate adaptation with smallholder farmers justifies making it a $2 billion organization. I would say from our work and the work of our partners around the world and talking to a lot of countries and leaders and even farmers in Sub-Saharan Africa, where I lived for a long time, the work of the CGAR is, is really driven by what smallholder farmers need. And I don't think there's another research organization in the world that has that kind of focus. Um, they understand the complexity of climate change and they're moving aggressively on several fronts. Uh, that include focus on crop breeding, digital tools, the role of social equity, um, and especially gender roles um, in developing a more resilient and sustainable food system. So for crop breeding, for example, they're substantially reducing the time it takes to produce a new crop um, with traits that are aligned to rapidly growing conditions. And why that's important is every year you can reduce to introducing the new variety, even with conventional means actually help smallholder farmers adapt and get to new pests, new diseases, new climatic conditions. Um, So it's critical to keep pace with those changes that are happening. Take the example of cassava, right? It can handle really tough conditions, but cassava varieties differ in what people prefer in West Africa to East Africa, and the crop pests and diseases are different in what they encounter. And so I think the CGAR is translating those differences in a way that's really meaningful. I also think that they have been deeply involved in Ghana, for example, in um, public partnerships that look at connecting, I think it's somewhere around 300,000 farmers to seasonal climate forecasts through text and voice. And I remember when I lived in Africa, like we would wait for the rains. When were the rains coming? And now, you know, with better forecasting, it provides an estimate of the total rainfall expected in the crop season. What's the right variety to plant? When should we be planning? And they give those 10-day forecasts throughout the season. Initially, the test of 1,000 farmers resulted in a 70% decrease in crop failure just by having access to the right information at the right time. You're listening to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. As you've just heard from Roger Voorhees of the Gates Foundation, digital services to farmers can play a critical role in helping them adapt to changing weather conditions and much more. These services were the subject of a new World Resources Institute working paper that we've only just published. Christina Rumbaitis del Rio is one of the authors. The Blueprint for Digital Climate Advisory Services is is a guide and a business case for, for scaling up investment 
and Digital Climate Advisory Services, um, which provide farmers, particularly small-scale farmers, with the information that they need to be able to adapt to the impacts of, of climate change and, and climate variability. We're particularly targeting um, reaching 300 million small-scale producers across the globe and estimate the amount of investment needed, um, but also the significant return on investment that could come from providing these services to farmers. And we have uh, good evidence that suggests the return on investment is between 1 in 10 to 1 in 70 for farmers, which is really significant. Uh, we also see that this can be a profitable business in many cases and, and really contribute to the, the GDP of countries that have a significant reliance on agriculture in their GDP. How is the return on investment so high? What, what is the change that this brings in? The return on investment is is high because it gives farmers the information they need to make more informed decisions about what resources they purchase and use in terms of inputs, fertilizers, varieties, how they manage their agricultural resources, whether it's livestock or fish or, or crops, when to harvest. And it's also often bundled with other services like access to finance and savings and credit or insurance um, and this is really critical because farmers not only need the information to take more informed actions that will really save them money and, and increase their productivity, but they also need the means to take that action. And that includes having access to insurance and, um, and things of that nature. And this has all been opened up as a possibility by the, by the widespread use of, of smartphones. Is, is that the key technology that's allowed this? Absolutely. Digital technology and smartphones are, are key to the, the increase that we're seeing. But I want to highlight that it's, it's not just digital solutions alone. It, it's digital information, satellite information, drone information that is married with various means of communications. In some cases, it's SMS. In other cases, it's through the extension agencies that they themselves might have access to the digital information, but you still need the extension agencies or radio or other, other means of communication that may or may not be digital. So how many extra farmers can be reached by digital climate advisory services if these guidelines, if the full potential is realised? Yeah, the, the blueprint targets 300 million small-scale producers um, across the globe as as the number that we want to reach. And, and this is really a target that was put forward by the Global Commission on Adaptation, which commissioned this study, seeing the great potential and, and dynamism in this space. It's important to note that there's been a tremendous increase in the number of services of digital agricultural advisory services, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, but also in Asia and Southeast Asia, but many of these services don't provide the information that farmers need to become more resilient and adapt to climate change. Things like uh, weather advisories and alerts or uh, alerts about extreme events or weather related crop diseases and pests that uh, can be a, a significant factor on a farmer's productivity. And just finally, going back to the blueprint itself, what is the what is the secret to unlocking this? What is the thing that that, that you and your fellow researchers are really suggesting is that is the key to being able to to provide three hundred million extra farmers with these extra services, which will create a, an enormous impact on on their work and livelihoods. 
Well, it's going to take investment, uh, without a doubt. It's going to. We estimate it will take uh, an estimated seven billion in 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 investment to reach. 300 million small-scale producers. But it's important to note that it's public sector investment in the underlying infrastructure that's needed, as well as private sector investment, um, because this is a service provision that, um, in some cases, farmers or um, intermediaries or banks will pay for, um, or even cell phone providers will pay for as part of loyalty schemes. So it, it will be a mix of public and private investment. Um, second, I guess it's important to note that it's it's not just about the investment and, and the funding required, but we really see um, six core principles that need to be applied in developing these services. Um, and those are around data quality and governance, equity and making sure that everyone has access who needs it, that a co-creation takes place with the users, that there is accountability for the, the services delivered, and that we think about sustainability, scalability, and financial sustainability from the outset. So it's how these are developed is just as critical as the, the investment that's needed. Christina Rumbikas del Rio of WRI. And you can find the paper she co-wrote, A Blueprint for Digital Climate Advisory Services, on our website. The link will be in the show notes. Now back to Roger Voorhees of the Gates Foundation. Has he seen any other new technologies that are promising for helping poorer farmers in Africa to adapt to the impacts of climate change? Thanks, Nicholas, for the question. And, you know, in my desire to frame it in a positive way, I want to be really clear, like, if we don't act and we don't fulfill what UN Secretary General Gutierrez asked, which is getting 50% of our money into adaptation, the risk and the impact of both economic development and sustainable agriculture in Africa will be devastating. And so what I'm trying to say is not that it's an easy problem to solve or that we're already out of the woods in terms of addressing it, but rather this is one of the places we have the existing infrastructure and technology is emerging that can have a massive impact on livelihoods and a massive impact on sustainability to a part of the world that had almost nothing to do um, with driving global warming. I wanna make sure I balance the urgency and the dangers that exist to that stability, but with the optimism that in this particular case, we actually have most of the tools that are needed. And to kind of answer your question around it, I, I think there are two key moments coming up. One is the UN Food System Summit in September, um, and the other is the COP26 climate conference in November. And so the climate agenda is still in need of greater commitments from donors, governments, and the private sector. And, and while there have been commitments in adaptation, right now, recognition is not translating into actual funding that needs to happen. And so I think the Food System Summit and COP offer those opportunities to emerge in 2021 with a new level of global support for smallholder farmers. And it's essential. I mean, after decades of reducing food insecurity, it's on the rise and it's on the rise uh, with one of the reasons being climate and the changing environment in which smallholder farmers have to operate. And so putting this back on track, both to address food insecurity, but actually do it in a sustainable way. Those two moments are an incredible opportunity to begin to address some of those issues. So I'm hopeful and optimistic but wow, if we don't act, then we're going to actually miss an incredible opportunity 
to see both poverty impacted, but livelihood and sustainable agriculture impacted, which will have an effect on biodiversity and natural systems that exist down in in the sub-Saharan African regions. And that was Roger Voorhees, President for Global Growth and Opportunity at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Go to our website, wri.org, for plenty more on adaptation. And you can also find a recent podcast with the co-authors of a new paper on food systems at risk and transformative adaptation. In the meantime, look out for a couple of podcast series in the build-up to the crucial COP26 summit in November. And the easiest way to do that is to subscribe to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action via anything from SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts to Spotify. I'm Nicholas Walton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>